title of, of the message on this Easter Sunday morning is A Garden and a Grave. A Garden and a Grave. And I want to start with a passage that maybe uh, you've never heard on Easter Sunday. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But um, I was listening to the kids' story, and, and they did such an incredible job. But they, they made mention that, that the Easter story started uh, last week when we celebrated Palm Sunday as Jesus is, is entering into Jerusalem, and they're, and they're yelling Hosanna, and they're waving the palm branches and placing them on the road. And, and they, they did an incredible job with that. But I would like to suggest to you that, that the Easter story actually starts in Genesis. The Easter story actually starts in the very beginning of the Bible. If you don't know the Bible, you've never heard of anything in the Bible. Genesis is the very first book. It's where creation takes place. We see it all, God speaking and creating things. And we get to this place in Genesis chapter two, the very second chapter of the entire Bible. And we see this in verse 15. He says, the Lord God took the man, this is Adam, he just created the first human, and he placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. There's a garden and there's a grave. And then we see in the very next chapter what takes place. Verse number six, it says, the woman saw that the tree was good. This is Eve with Adam. She saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard you in this garden. I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was, a na I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate. Verse 13, so the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. We see the garden, the garden of Eden, where, where God created a man and a woman, and he placed them in this, this perfect environment for them to watch over. There was nothing that was lacking. There was no want that was, that was lacking. There was no need that was lacking. Everything that was there, they had, they needed, and it was absolutely perfect the way that God designed and created it to be. But there was one thing. And the one thing was that you cannot eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they did. They ate from it. They, they, they made a mistake. And at that moment, as they go against God in disobedience, sin enters the world. And sin comes into the world. And now, 2,000 plus years later, even more than that, we look at, at what we see today and every problem that we see today, every sense of injustice, every bit of pain, every diagnosis, every bit of sickness, every bit of hatred and selfishness, all that we see today, the evil in the world is a byproduct of what took place in this garden, the Garden of Eden. God says, if you eat from this tree in this garden, you will surely die. There's a garden and there's a grave. 
But praise be to God that that's not the only garden and that's not the only grave. Because we see in John chapter 19, this is the story of, of Jesus, the Easter story that we all know so well. In verse 16, it says, then he handed him over, this is Jesus, to be crucified. And they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went out to what is called the place of the skull, which is Aramaic, it's called Golgotha. There they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side with Jesus, in the middle. Skip to verse 28. It says, after this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there. So they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. Verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Now bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. We skip down a few more verses. Verse 41, it says, There was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden. No one had yet been placed in it. They placed Jesus there because of the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby. We have two different stories, two locations, two gardens, two graves, and two significant, significant different outcomes. And here's what I want to tell you today. I have three things looking at the difference between the garden and the grave. And the first one is this, the garden changed from the past to the future. The garden changed from the past to the future. As you think about what happened in the Garden of Eden, where, where Adam and Eve, they are there, they are going against God in disobedience. Sin now enters the world. I can just imagine being in this moment if I was a bystander watching Adam and Eve do this. Like they, they, they knew exactly what they did when it happened. And I could just kind of sense this conversation between the two of them. Like, hey, babe, we messed up. Like we made a mistake. Like we, we messed up real bad. And we're actually gonna be causing a lot of problems for, for weeks, months, years, and centuries to come. Like, what are we gonna do about this? We've gotta figure out a solution to this problem. We've gotta try to fix this mistake that we've made. We've gotta try to change the past. Aha, I got it. I know what we're gonna do. I, I got a solution to this problem. And it's recorded in verse seven. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Hey babe, we messed up. Let's make some underwear, <laughs> right? Like, like they think this is the solution to the biggest problem that's ever happened that's led to problem after problem after problem, year after year, in your life and in my life, they try to come up with this solution and they decide, we're gonna just cover ourselves up. Now, I'm being a bit comical here, but if you think about this for a moment, what they were trying to do was, was, was cover up their mistake. They were trying to run from the shame. They were trying to run from the guilt. They were trying to hide. They were trying to figure out how to fix what they just did. And oftentimes in our life, it's not necessarily wrong to make a mistake and learn from it and make a mistake and try to figure out what's the solution to not allowing this to happen. But the problem is for you and I is we get so stuck in our past where we get held up and chained down by past regrets, past decisions, past choices, past hurt, past relationships, past mistakes. All of this thing that, that happens in the past begins to define us moving forward. 
And that's not what God created us and wanted for us to do because here's the deal. You can't live in a moment that's no longer there. And so much of our lives, we're looking backwards instead of looking forward. And, and the Bible is very clear as we, as we celebrate this Easter story that the past does not have a hold on you. The past garden where sin entered the world led into the future garden where Jesus went to the cross and he was placed in a grave and he resurrected three days later to get rid of the past mistakes to free us from that. In Genesis chapter three, God begins to speak to Adam and Eve and he speaks to them separately. And he begins to tell them some of the consequences that they're gonna face because of their sin. Obviously, the biggest one is the grave. You will surely die. And he goes through a list of things. Ladies, I'm sorry. That's why childbirth is so challenging for you. That was part of this sin. But, but he says something specific to Adam that's profound for the Easter story. He said, the land that you're going to be taking care of is going to be filled with thorns and thistles. This was the Garden of Eden. And we get to the Garden of Gethsemane and those same thorns that were consequences and a byproduct of their sin that was on the ground that he was covering and taking care of are now wrapped around the head of our Savior. And he's saying, that garden garden doesn't have a hold on you anymore. The garden has been changed from the past to the future. And I got something bigger for you. I paid it all. I paid it all. But why do we get so wrapped up in our past? Listen, I'm not minimizing or trying to take lightly the things that you have experienced in the past. It, it hurts. It's hard it's hard to forget. It's, it's hard to let go of. It's hard to forgive. It's hard to move forward. Why? Because we've been scarred, right? Like it, it puts this impression on our heart to where it's like, you want me to just forget and move on. And it's so hard to do. And I'm not minimizing that at all, but I'm here to remind you today, the past will hold you back from who God wants you to be. There's a powerful story and sermon illustration that that in my opinion is, is the most powerful that I've ever heard in regards to the past. And I can't take credit for it, nor will I try to. It's, I heard it from, from Dr. Tony Evans. And Dr. Tony Evans, he, he tells this story about going to a circus. And he says, as I'm, as I'm going to the circus, we're, we're getting ready to go in and we park around back of where the, the, the circus was gonna take place. And as we're walking in, I see all the circus animals in the parking lot. And he says, I, I see the tiger and I see the monkey and I see the camel. He said, and then I look and I see the elephant. He said, and I looked at this elephant, this 4,000 pound animal who was just standing there like a statue. And I looked down and I saw a chain was wrapped around this elephant's leg that had a little stake in the ground. And this chain was keeping this elephant from moving and going anywhere. He said, which then led me to the next question. How is this little itty bitty chain that has a little stake in the ground keeping this 4,000 pound animal from doing whatever it pleases and running off? 
He says, I then discovered that what happened is that when the elephant was young and was a baby, they would begin to train and program this elephant so that it would perform the way that they wanted and they would place the chain around the leg. And at that time, the chain had more power than the elephant did. But it didn't take long for the elephant to begin growing and maturing and receiving more power and more strength, so much more than this little chain. But the problem was, every time the elephant felt the chain around its leg, it went back to the past and started thinking about when they didn't have power. And so what would happen is the chain would go around the elephant's leg, they would feel it and they would assume and automatically go back to the past and believe that in that moment they had no power. Some of you walked in this room today with a chain on your leg and you have the power to break free from that and you've got to stop carrying that extra weight that Jesus already paid for. You have power to get away from it. You have power to move forward. You have power to be broken from addiction and bondage and your past. You can't walk around with a chain on your leg and be who God wants you to be. The garden changed from the past to the future. And you'll never be able to reach where and who God wants you to be and become when you're living in the Garden of Eden. Because the Garden of Gethsemane, it changed all of that. The garden went from the past to the future. The garden also, it went from separation to unity. The garden went from separation to unity. As I think about the Garden of Eden and I think about Adam and Eve again, they made this mistake, right? And we saw that they were trying to come up with a solution, but what was one of the first things that they did after they messed up? They ran and they hid. They, they separated, they, they isolated themselves. And I began to think about how that whole entire event took place. And I started thinking about how did they actually step into this decision of disobedience to begin with. And it was the serpent, right? The enemy. He deceived them. He said, did, did God really say that? And he started making them question if God said what he said and if he is who he is. And as I think about this, this, this concept, this idea, this, this ploy of deception, it didn't just stop at deception because the enemy knew if I can deceive you to go against God's word, I can also isolate you and separate you. And how often do we go in life and we start questioning, is this really what God said? Is this really what I wanna do? And all of a sudden the enemy comes in, our flesh takes over and we step into this thing that God never wanted. We feel convicted and we began to isolate and push away and push away. And the enemy just attacks more and more and more. The, the bigger issue here is not just being isolated in physical form, it's being separated from God forever. Why? Because that's the day sin entered the world and sin can't be present in the presence of a holy God. Sin separates us from God. And so in the Garden of Eden, because sin entered, we are now born into that sin. And without the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus dying on a cross, we would be separated forever. Separation. God desires unity. As I think about Jesus, he's on the cross. 
And he, and, he, and he says his last three words. Tell me what it is. It is finished. It is finished. And I could stay here for an hour talking about this, and I won't. But the moment he said it is finished, it says he, he turned his spirit over to God. So, so he took his last breath. And the moment he took his last breath is the moment that the veil was torn from top to bottom. You see, the veil was in the temple and it separated the holy place from the most holy place. It was, it was a, a sense of separation. You couldn't get into the presence of God because there was a veil that was separated. And so the garden changed from separation to it is finished, God tearing the veil from top to bottom to now I have unity. I came to make you one and one with me. And I think we look at the life of Jesus and it's easy for us to look at this historical narrative about someone that we don't know or doesn't know us. It's just a, a story that we read in Bible in the Bible. It's a, it's a historical event, event that took place, but I, I think we forget how personal, how personal he is. Because just before Jesus went to the cross in John chapter 17, he shares with us this sense of unity. What if I told you that Jesus prayed for you? He literally prayed for you specifically. He says this in John 17, 20, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be what? One. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you love me. The garden changed from separation to unity. Unification is, is restoration. It's, it's redemption. And the moment we began to live in our past is the moment we began to isolate. And the further we isolate, the further we separate. And the further away we get from unity. And so when we when we understand the price that was paid for our past and we allow Jesus to remove those chains to give us the freedom that he came to offer, we understand that the veil was torn, that we're not walking in this life alone. He's never abandoned you nor forsaken you. And you can walk and step into the presence of God in every aspect of your life. You understand that we are one. When you look at all the division in the world, I've said this before, the problem is we're trying to be unified by something that doesn't unify us. And if we would get off of some of the stuff that comes from the world and understand the one who wants to make us whole, who wants to unify us, we would see a lot less division and separation and hatred. We're trying to unify around things that were man-made. He says, I'm changing this garden from separation not just isolation and emotion, not just the way you feel physically. I'm talking about eternal separation. I'm changing that and I'm turning it into unity. 
Because one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that I am Lord. That's unity. Can you imagine that? Every nation, every nation in this entire world is going to be at the foot of the cross, at the, at the feet of Jesus. The ones that know him, the ones that call upon his name, singing the same songs, singing the same words, speaking the same language. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. It's hard to imagine. That's unity. There's no separation. It's, it's unity. And the last one is the garden. It changed from death to life. It changed from death to life. This was pretty simple. He said, if you eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And they did. And they needed an atonement. They needed a sacrifice. They needed a redeemer. They needed something to make them whole again. And that garden and that grave led to death. In the garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus was placed in the tomb, it led to life. And he came to give you and I life and give it abundantly. I can only imagine being present when John chapter 20 was recorded on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. While it was still dark, she saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple, they went out heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got up to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen clothes lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen clothes, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first and also went in. He saw and believed, for they did not yet understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting there where Jesus' body had been laying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you are seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, please tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher, don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I've not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to the Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. The garden went from death to life because the power of Jesus, he conquered death, hell, and the grave so that we could have life now and have it abundantly, but also have it forevermore. 
He's conquered death. And the things that you think he can't resurrect in your life, he wants to show you his power. He wants to show you what he can do. The gates of hell will not prevail against his church because of the resurrection power that is in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that the same power that resurrected Jesus is the same power that lives inside of you when you call upon the name of the Lord. And as I think about us being so stuck in the past and stay thinking about the resurrection power of Jesus and the power that is in us, why do we stay here? You have the power, not on your own might, but through the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit who is indwelling inside of you if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's resurrection power. And he brings things from death to life. One garden led to death and one garden gives us life. Where are you at today? Which garden are you living in? I think it's I think it's important for us to acknowledge and understand what took place in the Garden of Eden for us to understand the power of the Garden of Gethsemane. I also think it's important for us to acknowledge that the same sins that Adam and Eve committed are the same sins that you and I commit. And so we don't just completely ignore the Garden of Eden. but we don't stay there. Because if we are supposed to stay in the Garden of Eden, what took place in the Garden of Gethsemane would have never needed to take place. But he said, I, I came to change things. I came to change the past to the future. I came to take separation and bring unity to it. I came to bring dead things to life. And when you experience the life that only Christ can give you, there's freedom. There's freedom. Not to do whatever you want, whatever you please, but not to be chained and, and in bondage to the world, to be eternally separated from him. Does it mean that everything's gonna be perfect? No way. Does it mean life's gonna be absolutely amazing and nothing's ever gonna go wrong? No way. But it means things are different means things are changed. It means that I know that I have freedom in Jesus Christ. I have life and he came to give it to me abundantly.